Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Gators Breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. And joining me for this episode is Will Miles. You can find the site at readandreaction.com for great Gators covers there. And on Twitter at WillMilesSCC. Will Gators are six and one going into the bye week. Hey man, I finally got one right. <laughs> Third down, I just had to pick Florida. <laughs> Who knew? No, it was great. It was it was great to see the team come back and and sort of. I mean, it wasn't real good to see them down twenty one to three at the time, and certainly uh, Gator Twitter was going a little bit nuts. <laughs> After that third touchdown, when Vandy went up, but uh, you know, then then uh, Mason decided to 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 rile everybody up, and that was sort of the end of it. Yeah, that was uh, you know, the, you're right. Gator Twitter was uh, it was uh, eventful uh, during that 21 to three game. But uh, some went back into the uh, Michael Wayne way of thinking and thinking, uh, you know, there's, you know, I think the, a lot of the common theme that I saw was there's no way. Felipe Franks can lead this team to a comeback. There's no way this offense can come back. But you know, even during the turnovers and even being down 21 to three, we saw signs of uh, of offense actually moving the ball. They just had to take care of it. Yeah, I mean, they kept shooting themselves in the foot in the first half, and that was sort of the theme. Um, but it wasn't necessarily both on offense and defense, and you know, it wasn't necessarily a complete collapse on either side of the ball. It was just, they were down 21 to three because of the mistakes that they were making. And once they stopped making the mistakes, then the talent came out. And, you know, in the preview article that I wrote for this one, it really was pretty clear that Florida had more talent and that that talent had produced better this year than Vanderbilt had. And and that was really what you saw in the second half. Florida had a real advantage on offense against Vanderbilt's defense. And that showed up in the second half. And even when they were behind, I think there was like six minutes left in the second, in the third quarter, um, and they were still down 21 to 13. It, it still felt like they had control of the game, mm-hmm. um, you know, after they stopped Vanderbilt and Vanderbilt missed that field goal. So, um, you know, a, a very good win. Anytime you win in the SEC on the road, especially when you come out, and I don't want to say flat because I don't feel like they came out flat. Yeah. I feel like they there were a couple of things that went against them, and then it sort of snowballed into a couple more things that, you know, mistakes that um, – you know, the fumble by Franks in particular I'm thinking of was was something that just sort of felt like last year where one mistake snowballed into two, snowballed into three. Um, some of the guys getting out of gaps 
that allowed the long touchdowns or the, the big explosive plays in that first half. And they cleaned that up at halftime and, and came out and played much better. And in fact, you know, in the article that I wrote as a follow-up, I pointed out one particular play that I thought was the turning point. And it really wasn't the Mason and Mullen exchange though. You know, you sort of look at that and say, is that where the, mm-hmm. is that where the, the transition happened? Um, you know, Vanderbilt has sort of gotten control again in that third quarter and, right. and Florida was able to turn the tides. And again, very, very impressive performance to, there are a lot of times where teams go out there flat and it ends up being an upset or it ends up being much, much closer than 10 points. I mean, Florida pretty much took control. And by the time the fourth quarter rolled around, there wasn't any doubt who was going to win the game. Yeah, we'll look further into this game and a couple more thoughts and uh, looking at Will's uh, article he posted at readingreaction.com as well. Before we do that, remember, you can find Gators Breakdown on news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes as well as articles from the News for Jack sports team, news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. Also, catch the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, and now on Spotify. Using those services, please share, rate, and review the show. And follow Gators Breakdown on social media, on Twitter and Facebook, at Gators Breakdown. And well, there really is no way around it. You know, this this is a game Florida probably would have folded uh, in the past, and you know Mullen did. And I was looking at the uh, Gators re- rewind, and they had Mullen's halftime speech to the team, and pretty much everything that we said. You know, th- th- their signs were there; they were playing hard. A lack of focus. And that's that's what Mullen said. It was a lack of focus, and you and you can see that uh, many things factored into the comeback. But first and foremost, uh, it was a thought that you actually can you know c- that we can come back to. Uh, that you mentioned in your article. I mentioned it in the last episode. Fans noticed it. This team is just mentally stronger and much better coached. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, last year, I think it really... The, the team took on the personality of its coach and McElwain, I think after the, I think after the Michigan game really just sort of didn't have any energy and didn't really have any answers. And that's never been the case with Mullen this year. Now I would caution people that, you know, two years ago, McElwain went 10 and four um, or three years ago, he went 10 and four, two years ago, he went nine and four. So it's not as if, it's not as if Florida didn't, didn't fight through adversity those couple of years. It was just that the offense wasn't scoring 35 or 37 points in order, in order to put that game or in order to come back in a game in this type of fashion. Um, You know, there was a stat on the broadcast. I think that the last time Florida came back from 18 points down was like, you know, 1980, something 85, 83, something like that. Now there's two things there. One is that usually when you're down 18 points, the team you're playing is better than you. (laughs) So it's a lot harder to come back. They matched the deficit of, uh, 2003 comeback at Kentucky. Okay. And I mean, you know, I, I don't think that in this case, I don't think Vanderbilt is, I mean, I think you look at it and they are objectively a worse team than Florida. Florida just didn't play like it in the first half and Vanderbilt took advantage. And then you had Vaughn go out with the injury. And I don't think that that turned the game, but I do think that it allowed Florida a little bit more leeway in terms of, you know, if you get out of a gap, it's a 10 yard gain rather than it being an 80 yard gain. That makes a difference obviously, but uh, I think they would have tidied that up in the second half anyway, and probably go probably win this game. But you know, there was, there were a couple of moments, Moments there where it got a little bit hairy, um, particularly in the second half when Vanderbilt, after Florida went three and out on the first drive, you know, got the ball in Florida territory, drove down down the field, and, and CJ McWilliams made a really nice play to force the Vanderbilt field goal, which they then missed. You know, if Vanderbilt goes in for a touchdown there, and if McWilliams hadn't made the play, it would have been a touchdown. If if Vanderbilt goes in for a touchdown, all of a sudden it's twenty eight to thirteen. It's a much different game. You wonder whether Florida's got to get a, into a little bit more of a panic mode, trying to force some things, and then the game maybe turns out differently. So, 
you know, inevitably you put yourself in that situation. One or two plays is going to turn it. Florida was able to make the plays this time, but certainly, um, you know, you don't, you don't figure they're going to come out sloppy against a team like Georgia, but the games after that, we might need to look for this again in the Mm -hmm. future. Do they have the ability to put, to put two or three games together again, like they did this one, you know, again, right before you get to the bye week that's usually where teams struggle. Um, it was one of the things I think people understood that, you know, the game starts at 11 o'clock local time. It's Missouri. So the stadium isn't really full. Um, I was pretty impressed that the stadium seemed to be full of Florida fans. There was one fourth down play where, uh, you know, I was wondering whether Dan Wolken was going to uh, call Florida fans soft this week because <laughs> they seem to travel to, to Nashville no problem. So Yeah, uh, most people thought it was 70-30 Gator fans there. So. I mean, it looked like it in the stands. Yeah. It certainly sounded like it, which, you know, hey, that's great. I mean, Gator Nation goes everywhere, and certainly, you know, a lot of our, a lot of our followers and a lot of our friends on Twitter were, put, were pointing out that they were going to the game yeah. and, uh, you know, gave the team a little bit of an advantage, particularly, and this is one place where I do think the altercation maybe made a difference is the fans certainly got louder yeah, yeah. after that they were sort of on their hands a little bit you know down 21 to 3 you're sort of oh, god is, is this you know after all the success we've had is this where it's gonna you know where it's going to change and 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 so i think that sort of maybe fired up the crowd a little bit and maybe everybody loosened up a little bit after that yeah it is funny you know i was tweeting during the game you know florida was getting out physical at times early uh and maybe not even you know coaching well early Man, I got that echo. I don't know what, is, what I don't know what to deal with. Um, you know, this just wasn't going well early. But I, I never, as, as much as I was pointing out the negative that was happening, I never still really felt that Florida was out of it. Uh, even twenty-one that down twenty-one to three, the way they were moving the ball, you know, get a few breaks to go your way, and, and the game completely turned around, and, and that's what happened there. Uh, one main takeaway, will from the game, and, and you mentioned it in your article. Uh, Frank's averaged 9.3 yards per attempt in the first half and 9.8 yards per attempt in the game. And, quote, you said, uh, Florida was moving the ball because of Frank's and not in spite of him uh, in the quote there. So, you know, even with the turnovers, uh, that that you know, there were the boneheaded mistakes and throws. He did miss some throws. Uh, of course he did. But, you know, there weren't really bad decisions. He hit some passes over the middle, uh, took advantage uh, of a Vandy defense with some of the wide running back swing passes and other easy throws. You know, plain and simple, this was just one of the best examples of get your playmakers the ball and let them do work. And that really helped Franks and Franks and his numbers here. But uh, Connor O'Gara from uh, Saturday Down Saturday Down South uh, tweeted a, tweeted out a stat. And uh, Felipe Franks' improvement stat uh, against Vanderbilt marked the first time in his career that he completed at least 65% of his passes and threw for multiple touchdown passes against a Power 5 team. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any doubt that Franks is better. I, I think one of the things that was interesting, um, and I did point this out in the article as well, is that Vanderbilt definitely had a strategy of basically playing a zone shell and making making Florida run them out of it or you know, sort of sh- short throw them out of it. And Franks was able to do that. I mean, he was able to move them down to the field into Vanderbilt territory. And then when Vanderbilt started to get aggressive and started bringing a seventh guy up to the line of scrimmage, that was when they decided to attack and go deep. Um you know, there were a couple of plays in the second half. One in particular, I think, on a on a pass to Moral Stevens over the middle mm-hmm. where he had to throw it over the linebacker and under the safety. And that's not something that I think he would have been – I don't think he would have been comfortable trying to make that throw last year, let alone actually, 
making the throw. I mean, it was a beautiful throw. Of course, he tried it on the next play too, and it was almost intercepted. <laughs> so certainly, certainly, still some work to do. But you know, again, you mentioned the nine point eight yards per attempt. Um, you know, the yards above replacement set that I like tracking. He was at zero point two three, so better than a game manager, not average. Average is zero. Excellent is one. The one thing I would say about it for this particular game is that he had the thirty-five yard loss on the fumble, mm. which really colors things. And if you take out that 35 yard loss, well, you know, now his yards above replacement goes up to 1.22. So, you know, he had 10 rushes for nine yards other than that one loss. And so, mm. um, yes, it's there. It counts. It certainly was a devastating play yeah. early on and, and should count against him. But every other snap in that game, he played, he played excellent. And I, and I think that's something that we haven't necessarily said all year. Now, one thing I will say is Franks has played better than the opposition in every game, the opposing quarterback, I should say, in every game except for the Kentucky game. He got absolutely blown away in the Kentucky game, mostly because Kentucky's quarterback played really, really well. Yeah. Um, you look against Charleston Southern. And he's still out- his best game of the year, too, if, that can po- if that's going to puzzle everybody. Terry Wilson, his best game of the year is pretty much against Florida. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, so the only the only time now part of this is the Florida defense too, because yeah. the Florida defense has has held its opposition basically the the best quarterback performance against Florida was a, a yards above replacement of zero point six one, and Franks was zero point eight one. That was in that was against Tennessee. Other than that, the opposition has always had a negative yards above replacement, except for Kentucky, and Franks has been about average. So you look at somebody who's sitting there right at that sort of average mark. And then you look at the opposition always being negative and they've won those games. And for the most part, if there's a pretty wide gap in quarterback performance, you're always going to see um, you're, you're almost always going to see the team with the better quarterback win. It's not a shock to say that, but um, you know, you look at LSU. So Frank's was at negative 0.47. So he wasn't fantastic, but Burrow was minus 1.58 Florida wins Vanderbilt. Frank's is 0.23. Shermer's negative 1.43. Florida wins. Same thing against Mississippi State. Frank's was negative 0.9. So he wasn't fantastic, but Fitzgerald was negative 2.7. And so, um, you know, really, this is the first time I've seen Frank's Frank's really score points with his arm where it wasn't necessarily things that were designed in the offense. And, and you start, you're starting to see him grow into that. Now, It'll be interesting to see what happens. I'm really interested to see what they come out with in the Georgia game, having had a full week to put in wrinkles and put in sort of, de- you know, break tendencies. And, you know, they've been running that reverse to Tony. And I'm really curious to see what they're going to do in, against Georgia. Cause I think one of the things you can do is you can fake that reverse, roll Franks out to the right, and maybe get a tight end. Um, on a linebacker deep across the middle. And I wonder whether we're going to see a little wrinkle like that when they play Georgia in a couple of weeks. Well, I think we'll stay on Franks just for a second, too. And, you know, we're at the bye week, kind of, kind of a midway point uh, of the season going into the Georgia game. And, you know, if we go back, of course, you know, to, to before the season started, and it was the quarterback battle with Trask and, and how much Emory Jones would play. And Emory Jones come in and, and, and be the Tim Tebow role and come in and, and rush and, and get yards there on the ground. And for every week, we know we've pretty much seen improvement in Felipe Franks from game one to game the this last week against Vanderbilt, where you're you know, seven games in, you're six and one. Um, I was you know I, I can't lie and say I saw this coming. You know from Felipe Franks and you know, my reservation of a eight and four Florida team for me was because I didn't necessarily know if I would see growth from the quarterback position. I had faith in Dan Mullen, 
but didn't necessarily have faith in Felipe Franks. And now six and one later, you know, there is some belief in Felipe Franks and there is a belief that he is a good quarterback. Now he, he, he is a good quarterback. He's not, not great. Not going to be a Heisman winner by any means or anything like that, but for what they're asking him to do in this offense and what they're asking the quarterback to do. And, you know, for, for the most part, a lot of the boneheaded decisions are, are, are out, are out of there now. I mean, he's, I mean, he's really impressed me with the way he's improved from game one to this past week. Yeah, so last year's quarterback rating was 113. This year it's 143.2. Yeah. So, um, I mean, it's been a significant improvement. I think he averaged 6.3 yards per attempt last year. He's 7.7 this year. 15 touchdowns this year, and he had nine all of last year. So, you know, he had – and last year he had negative rushing yards. This year he's got 55 rushes for 126 yards. So he's contributing there as well. You know, to be honest, this is kind of what I thought would happen. I didn't think he'd be quite this good. I thought he'd be slightly below average, and right now he's slightly above average. Um, but you could sort of see it when you looked at Mullen and Tyler Russell, I think it was, when he took over at uh, at Mississippi State, saw a pretty significant improvement right off the bat, mainly because he just got rid of all of the got rid of all the negative plays that that Russell was taking at the time at, at, at Mississippi State. And that's kind of what he's done with Franks. I can't remember the last time I looked at it and just said, oh, he should have thrown that ball away, and instead he took a sack. I mean, there have been a couple of plays where he's gotten sacked where you know the offensive line broke down or he didn't read the blitz correctly or something like that. But I, I really don't remember a play where he sort of couldn't find his guy, panicked, ran out, tried to get out of the grasp of somebody and got thrown to the ground. There just haven't been any of those. And so – um, you know, he's improved significantly, it, you know, to me, the, the reason I picked Florida to be seven and five was because of the defense and the defense played great. And so when you combine that with a, uh, with a quarterback, who's really, I mean, I do think we can call him a game manager and I don't mm -hmm. think that's necessarily a, a slight. I think it's what he's being asked to do. And I think it sort of fits within his ability and what Florida is giving and what Mullen is giving him to do. I mean, he is not going to throw you out of the kind of defense you want to play against him. In fact, I think one of the things that we should probably take from the Vandy game, if I was a defensive coordinator, I saw a way to stop Florida. It's just Vanderbilt didn't have the patience or the athletes to really take advantage of it. Um, I, I think part of the mistakes that we saw in that first half, so I think the first drive was nine plays, the second, the second drive was 16 plays, and each one of those drives – you know, they had to settle for a field goal, I want to say, because there was a penalty on the second drive. Um, they obviously threw the interception on the first drive, and then they were starting to build another drive when Franks fumbled the ball. And I, I think that is a way to, if you can keep Florida in front of you and you don't give them those explosive plays, I think you can limit what they can do offensively. Mississippi State did the same thing. I mean, you remember there were a lot of a lot of swing passes thrown against Mississippi State. It's because Mississippi State had made the, the strategic decision that they were going to lay back and not give up any big plays. The difference is, is this year Florida hits four, five, six big plays yeah. a game, and those turn into touchdowns. And and the team that can take those away is going to be the team that ends up getting them if anyone can get them. But as of now, nobody's been able to do it, mainly because the running backs have provided enough um, enough cover that they've then opened up some things for Franks down the field. Yeah, and well, this uh, this is all what we're going to. You know, the key so far to this season is just pure coaching to me uh, and, and, and it's what Mullen is doing 
uh, with these players and you know, most of them played a good bit last year on that four and seven team. And, you know, there's not a lot of trying to fit the, the, the square peg in the round hole, you know, the, the saying we've we heard so much of these, uh, you know, especially going back to the, to the must champ days. Uh, he's taking what he has and, and show marked improvement in every phase of the game so far. Uh, they've won in every which way imaginable so far this season, blowing out opponents. You should have bouncing back after a loss, uh, winning with getting turnovers, winning with hard-nosed defense, with not getting turnovers, getting into a slugfest with, with, with LSU and coming out on top, winning in comeback fashion this past week and, and you know, matching the, the largest road comeback. And this season's had it all, uh, and a sign of great coaching is, you know, finding all these ways to win right now and, and games where Florida hasn't run many offensive plays and then games like this past week where the Florida offense had 92 plays. I mean, <laughs> I mean, just going to what we've seen these last two coaching regimes, uh, being able to see 92 plays run by an offense is is, is ancient or not ancient. Uh, it's far fetched and, uh, and not uh, not necessarily expected. But 92 plays against an SEC team, uh, I think, really speaks to, to to the growth of this team and growth of this offense and. Also calling all these trick plays and finding the right time to call those. And you know, the Tony pass to Stevens versus Mississippi State, the Kroll throwback, uh, the fake punt versus Vanderbilt, you know, all those game-changing plays to me is another testament in getting everything out of this team so far this season. Yeah, I, I think there are a couple of things that, that really stand out to me. One is that I so I'm gonna have a preview coming up this week on this or a, a review this week on the site, sort of looking at the first half of the season and where Florida stands and, and all that sort of stuff. And I haven't finished running all the numbers, but they are not first or second in most of the categories in, in the SEC when you look at when you look at yards above replacement, when you look at just where they rank rushing, where they look where they rush where they rank passing, offense, defense. Like they're kind of middle of the pack in all of those things. But they were so bad last year in certain aspects of those. They were really bad against the pass on defense. They were really bad throwing the ball on offense. And and it it translated to a team that really, really struggled. This year they've just made solid strides in every area. And that's all accumulating into the ability to stay in these games and then eventually pull them out at the end. The other thing I would say is if you go back and so I did start going back and reading some of the stuff from last year because I did want to be able to sort of think back to what was the coaching like last year versus what is it this year. And one thing I will say is that there was a predictability last year and really the last two years under the Nussmeyer and McIlwain regime that you know you knew the ball was going to Brandon Powell last year mm-hmm. on third and fourth downs. Now you get a reverse to Tony or you get a throw to a tight end that, you know, or you get a throwback against his body with Lucas Kroll <laughs> back to Franks. I mean, you know, there there are just they're incorporating people in so that there's nothing you can key on when it comes down to a key play. And then sometimes it's a really simple play, right? They'll just run Franks right up the middle on fourth and one to get the first down. But because they've sort of established that they'll go to anybody, then that plays open. And one of the things I think that, that, uh, you know, every time I look at the box score, I'm always surprised at how many different guys caught a pass. Mm -hmm. And that's something that last year just was not the case. I mean, you'd look at the box score at the end of the game, four guys caught a pass. I mean, Cleveland, Tony, um, Powell, Powell, and (laughs) I mean, who else, right? (laughs) Or maybe Swain or Hammond got one. And, and, you know, this year you got 12 guys out there who've caught the ball. And so, um, Again, I, I think when I look at the difference between the teams, the creativity is one, is one place that I really look at. And then just the the solidness of all of them. Like there's no unit where I go, wow, they're really, really fantastic. 
but every unit out there is solid. And yeah, they make mistakes, but for the most part, those mistakes get corrected. They get corrected at the halftime. They've been a, they've been an excellent second half team. And and that's one of the things, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, Mississippi State was able to move the ball in the first half, wasn't at all in the second half. LSU was able to move the ball in the first half, not at all in the second half. Vanderbilt was able to move the ball in the first half, not at all in the second half. And and that right there indicates that they're making adjustments or that they're doing the right motivational things to make sure that their guys wake up, that they stay in the right gaps, that they do all the things that they've taught them throughout the week. So, you know, I, I had written after the LSU um, after the LSU game that really they didn't change what they were doing. They just got tougher at the point, or I'm sorry, Mississippi state game. They didn't really change what they were doing from the first half to the second half. They just got tougher. I mean, they did a better job of taking on blocks. They did a better job of holding up up front, um, all those sorts of things. And that, and that, I mean, that is coaching because they didn't make adjustments. They didn't panic. They just said, look, we're better than them. If you actually execute, we'll win the game. Two words, Will, that uh, and one we've been harping on for the last couple seasons, progress. So it, it's nice when you can progress and be six and one, <laughs> you know, coming off of you know the expectations in this season. And, you know, I wanted to see progress. A little did I know that I would think progress would be six and one at this point, but also fun. I mean, just go back and go back to the opener and how fun it was to see Frank throw five touchdowns. And yes, I know we had the, the disappointing game against Kentucky, but even getting run on for 300 yards, you still were in that game late, still had a chance to win. And you still had a, uh, a McPherson field goal that somehow is still no good, but uh, I'll, 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 I won't let that one go. I mean, think about it. I mean, I mean, there's another surprise there of, of him. He, he would be perfect on the year, I'm not saying Florida wins that game if they hit that field goal, but he'd be perfect on the year on, Field goals and, and extra points so far. But but then, you know, of course, going to Knoxville and, and, and getting that win, you were able to see that in person. And then going to Mississippi State and Dan Mullen and all the drama and emotion going into that game. And then coming back to the Swamp and beating LSU. I mean, not only has this team progressed, but it's been fun watching this little step-by-step build. And uh, first and foremost, uh, that's what we as college football fans, that's what we as Gator fans want. And it hasn't been fun. Look, I love the game of football. You know, uh, uh, it's up there tops, but, you know, w- w- with a lot of hobbies and things I like to do. But it hasn't been fun watching Florida football these last few years. I watch it because I'm passionate about it, but it wasn't fun. And actually, now we have some fun going along with this Gator team. Well, I mean, it's always fun when you win, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, exactly. it doesn't really. It is it that simple. It really is. It doesn't even really matter how you win. It's all. It's always fun. I mean, I, I was thinking oh, yeah, about this. Back to 2012. I, I mean, the offense wasn't doing much, but I had fun. With, I mean, and I, I loved watching that defense game after game. Well, and I was thinking about this as I was watching LSU in Georgia, which is that last year I wouldn't have cared about LSU in Georgia because there was no impact on Florida because Florida was so bad it didn't really matter. Um, You know, and and so I I think part of the enjoyment that you get is that all of a sudden you start looking at other teams, right? So Florida's in a position now. I mean, you know, I I think we we need to – we need to be honest with the fact that the game against Kentucky was very, very close. Yeah. Game against LSU was very, very close. Mississippi State, very, very close. Um, Auburn, or I'm sorry, Tennessee was obviously a blowout, but I would even say the game against Vanderbilt was pretty close. Yeah. And so in, in the span of a season, you're going to have a couple of those close games. It turns into a magical season if you can win a couple of them. When you play seven close games, chances are you're going to have a loss. Um, you know, In fact, I would say the Vanderbilt game kind of reminded me of that 2012 team against Georgia where everything sort of went wrong that entire game and Florida was able to write the ship this time. But that was kind of what I was thinking in the first half was, Oh geez, is this one of those games where, you know, they're going to come screaming back. They're going to get, you know, 
up by a couple of points and then there will be some just killer turnover or something that you know you're like hey the guy who never turns it over did something <laughs> that, that you'd never expect from him um you know and obviously that didn't happen but there's still opportunity for that to happen later in the year what i will say is, is one of the things that makes it so much fun is that at six and one you can now start talking about the sdc east mm-hmm. particularly with the way georgia played against lsu and before um, you go further we're not players we can talk about it <laughs> 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 well, I mean, that that's why it's fun is that you get to start dreaming about those things, right? I mean, you know, in two weeks, they're, they're playing Georgia. If they can pull that game out, well, now all of a sudden, you've got a Missouri team that's struggling. You've got a South Carolina team that hasn't played all that great. Like, there's 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 not an Alabama or somebody on the other side, and Georgia still has to play Kentucky. So, you, you know, you figure that Georgia probably wins that game, which means – Florida's in the driver's seat. Now they don't control their destiny, right? So right. Kentucky can still can still win out and 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 win the East. But um, you know, I feel pretty good about the chances that that Kentucky will probably lose one more time. And so if that's the case, Florida controls their own destiny. And now you're looking at the teams in front of them. I mean, Georgia, we've talked all year about how they're how Kirby's building a juggernaut. I still think that's true. But we also talked in our preview where there were a lot of things that could go wrong. Fromm played bad enough the other day that you know I'm sure there are going to be message boards asking for fields, and you're oh, going to yes, start hearing, and you're going to start, <laughs> and you're going to start hearing that chatter, and you know you wonder what the guys on the team think because um, they see fields every day in practice. They saw some of the, they saw the way Fromm played. Now Fromm had played great up until the game against LSU. But, you know, if he struggles in the first half against Florida, what does that do to the team? Is there internal strife? All those sorts of things. That's it's one of the things I think Mullen's done a really good job of this year. Even It, it was very, very clear right after he named Frank starter that the starter that, that Franks was going to be the starter basically the entire year. Um, you figured he was really going to have to fall on his face in order for, the, for that not to be the case. And he hasn't been looking over his shoulder. I think that's made a difference. Absolutely. And, uh, Will, you talked about, you know, just kind of, the, the the players in the team and how, when we look at this you know they do they do kind of everything well you know not everything great but they do everything well in a package that that, that that's leading to uh the success that we're seeing on the field you know Jordan Scarlett and the Michael P Ryan right now if you look at stats are basically pretty even and you have true freshman Damian Pierce right behind those guys Van Jefferson is your number one receiver but not you know traditional number one he's he's not out there uh dominating the stats he, he's just a, a hair above everybody else uh there so you know you have a wide receiver core that's kind of even and you know can't really key on one guy also the tight ends you know coming in uh to this season you see Seante lewis being the most experienced tight end but not the not but now the gators are getting more guys involved here uh lewis has a catch in two of the last three games but only has recorded uh reception stats in, in three games so far this year uh probably still the best blocker of the bunch but he is limited in, in the passing game and the biggest contributor lately uh, of course, is Morrill Stevens, who has a catch in four straight games and two touchdowns to go along with that. Kyle Pitts has a catch in two of the last three games. We saw Kroll get in on a throwback pass to Franks. He's been on been in on some goal line packages as well as out there blocking. Now, Florida's deep here with numbers, and each guy has brought something to the table so far this year. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, Freddie Swain has been really the big play guy yeah. um, for the team, averaging 20 and a half yards per catch. Obviously had that big one against Tennessee. Um you know, Van Jefferson has been more of a possession receiver. Same thing with Grimes. Same thing with Cleveland, really. Uh, Moral Stevens is second. Well, I, I guess 
third on the team if you count Dre Massey, who's got one catch for 18 yards. But you know, for people who have more than five catches, Moral Stevens has the second highest per catch average. I mean, he's the guy who's getting open um, and really is presenting a mismatch in some of the things that Florida wants to do just because Mullen's able to get him in one-on-one coverage um, across the middle and, and Franks has been able to find him. Um, you mentioned Scarlett, 5.4 yards per rush. P. Ryan, 5.4 yards per rush. Uh, one with 70 carries, one with 69. Um, obviously, that's buoyed by the one run right after you were tweeting with somebody about how they needed to bring P. Ryan in. Um, huh? Huh? What? Huh? <laughs> we're, we're wrong from time to time. We'll, yeah, we'll yeah. admit it. But, I mean, you know, at, at the end of the day, Scarlett is a solid back. I don't think he's um, – I don't think anybody's going to confuse him for Adrian Peterson. Same thing with P. Ryan. Very solid back. I don't think that I would call him great, though he's played very, very well in some of these games. Pierce has showed flashes, but obviously when you fumble the ball in a game yeah. where you're just taking control, that's an issue. Um, you know, Kerry's Tony. Tony, I'm glad he was on the field like soon after that, too. I mean, you know, there's, yeah. there's still some trust there. Yeah, well, I mean, I remember um, – and with with McIlwain, um, I want to say it was was it P Ryan who fumbled his first carry and then didn't get back in. Oh yeah, yeah after yeah, that yeah. a couple of years ago, and you know, so yeah, to bring him back out on the field and show that trust in him, I think is a significant thing. But uh, yeah, like you said, I think everybody does. Everybody's contributing, right? You're getting 11 carries from Tony for 125 yards. You know, they keep running that end around, and he's gotten he's popped a couple for over 30 yards. Um, they've also got screen passes out to Tony where he's. Uh, you know, so he's got, where is it? So he's got nine catches. He's got 11 carries. He's obviously got that one big throw against Mississippi State. Um, you know, Franks, again, not not winning any Heisman trophies, but been very, very solid. And I think you can say, I, I actually think if you were going to point out where guys are exceeding sort of average, that's when you go over the defense. You look at people yeah. like Sean Joseph, you look at Polite, Zuniga. Johnson Gardner Johnson. Johnson um, Gardner Johnson, all those guys. Basically, everybody who's got a boatload of tackles for loss. Um, you know, those are the guys who are really uh, excelling. And Donovan Steiner, you know, he, he's one of the guys that, that we sort of pointed out in our preview of the season that, uh, you know, thought he might play well. He's got 36 tackles. He's got obviously that one big tackle for loss against Mississippi State. But more than anything, having a steadying influence on the backside. Um, you know, I, I can't remember the last time Florida blew a coverage ex- after that Kentucky game. And, you know, there, there haven't been any blown coverages. There haven't been any plays where you're like, oh, that guy's wide open. I mean, I guess there was there was the one on the little swing pass against Vanderbilt after right, the touchdown yeah. they took to take the lead. <laughs> but, uh, you know, beyond that, I don't remember blown coverages. And and that really speaks uh, the, to the Tennessee one. The tight end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But, yeah but you're right. I mean, we got to sit here and really think about it. You know, I couldn't come up with that right quickly. So, I mean, I can think of like three in the Michigan game last year, just, just, <laughs> just all by myself, just thinking back to that game. And, and, and that isn't happening this year. So, um, you know, again, I think if you look at where Florida has really excelled this year, clearly defensive side of the ball. Um, but again, they were, they were relatively poor on the defensive side of the ball last year, particularly against the pass. They were really poor on offense for three straight years. And both, both units now have become average to above average. And when you get that combination, you're going to get considerable improvement of the overall team, especially when you combine it with special teams. And let's be honest, um, you know, without that fake punt to Townsend, I'm not sure that they win this game. I mean, that was, that was a turning point as well as, is, you know, just sort of the red sea parting and (laughs) there he went running through. And I think there's something to be said about your punter who absolutely tries to blast the guy who tries to (laughs) tackle him rather, rather than, rather than, uh, rather than sliding. 
Yeah, uh, you mentioned defense, and and to go along there, you mentioned all the guys tackled for loss, and a lot of these uh, these defensive linemen, um, you know, especially in the middle, Slayton, Conliff, lately overtaken by Kyrie Campbell, Adam Schuler, even Kerry Clark, and Marlon Dunlap getting more play time recently, and you know, not much mention if Slayton or Conliff are hurt or you know some other maybe suspension or something. I don't think so. Nothing's been announced, uh, but the production from the other four guys ha- has stepped up lately. And according to uh, university official stats, Slayton has actually been labeled a non-participant in the last two games, and Conliff hasn't recorded any stats the last couple of games. So you've seen Campbell and Schuler and Clark and Dunlap lately. And, you know, when the season started, it was Slayton and Collins. So it makes you wonder how much this defense has changed from the start of the season to after the Kentucky game and where you're starting to see the name of, uh, of Campbell, Shuler, Clark, and Dunlap get more playing time. And, you know, this we talk about the, the offense and kind of how it all is spread out here. The defense looks like they have kind of figured a lot of the guys they want, they want out on this front line. Yeah, I think some of that's a testament to Grantham, certainly, um, you know, rotating those guys in. Some of it's a testament to the guys who've, who've, who've come in and, and shown out. I mean, I remember Schuler really playing a key role, stopping the run against Tennessee when I was watching live. He was somebody I really noticed in that game, particularly on the safety. I think he was involved. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of what Polite and Zuniga have been able to do is tied in with what the defensive tackles have been able to do. If those defensive tackles are able to occupy two offensive linemen, it frees up those guys on the edge to really come around and and wreak havoc. And and so, but if those guys get pushed back, there's a pocket for the quarterback to step up into, and and then they can deliver the ball. And so those speed rushes that Polite and Zuniga are bringing to the quarterback only work if the defensive tackle is really getting a push. And you know that was something we really saw in the first half against Mississippi State. The Defensive tackles got pushed around a little bit in the second half against Mississippi State. They didn't get pushed around at all. Um, you know, it's a big part of the defense being able to occupy guys up front. Um, it's one of the things that I think is a staple of what Grantham's trying to do, and certainly frees up guys like Voshan Joseph. One thing I will say is that if you think about, um, you know, so Florida Voshan Joseph leads the team with 44 tackles. Chauncey Gardner Johnson is second with 43. They both. They've combined for 12 and a half tackles for loss. That doesn't happen if the linebackers are getting to the second or if the offensive linemen are getting to the second level. Yeah. Right. So what that really tells you is that the defensive tackles are occupying the offensive linemen. They're not able to get off their blocks and that frees up the linebackers. And, you know, we talked again early in the preview about teams like Tennessee where they had safeties who were their leading tacklers. And you got to get to Steiner, who's the third, who's third, you know, he's the third leading tackler. Then you got Reese and Rayshad Jackson. So, you know, four of the top five tacklers are sort of a hybrid linebacker or a linebacker. And, and then one of them is defensive back. That's kind of what you want to see. You don't really, you don't want to see two or three safeties up there real <laughs> high. And, and we don't see that with Florida. Yeah. It's been nice to see the transformation of this defense and you being this more attack aggressive style, you know, that I will say that they're, they're probably still a little undersized, but you know, with the speed and the, I think the speed that you can get, uh, out of the athletes that you can get at Florida, I think it kind of lends itself to what we're seeing with Todd Grantham being able to get those guys in the backfield, put pressure on the quarterback, and they pretty much just let the, the defense go from there. You pressure that quarterback, it controls that opposing offense, and I think they know that. So you can get in that quarterback's head or make him shift his feet or make him run around a little bit more than he really wants to. Uh, I think that's how they're they're controlling this game right now. And it'd be interesting to see, uh, you know, that when – 
these next few games come up. You, know, you got Georgia, you got Missouri, you got South Carolina. You're going to have three quarterbacks that would you know probably rather stay in the pocket uh, than they would run around a little bit. And it's been the running quarterbacks that have given the Gators trouble uh, more so this year and guys that are wanting to stay in the pocket that the Gators have been able to collapse on and put pressure on. So if they match up well as far as just a, a defensive pressure versus these types of quarterbacks, we'll have to see if those types of quarterbacks can get help from their offensive line and their running back and, and their quarter uh, and their wide receivers. But looking at the, just the style of quarterbacks that Florida's going to go against, uh, you you kind of have to like what if the defense can get going like we saw against Tennessee and Mississippi State and LSU. Kind of have to like their chances there. Yeah, I mean, I think it sets up well for them in terms of what they do and in terms of who they're who they're coming after, and, and also on the other side of the ball, what those defenses tend to do um, versus where you th- where where Frank struggles and and where the offenses struggled in the past. But um, you know, really, as long as they can avoid a bunch of unsportsmanlike conduct penalties, <laughs> I, I think I think we'll be all right, man. You know, we, we don't need any more Vashawn Joseph WWE uh, sidewalk, hey, man, that- sidewalk slams. That that was a true power bomb. I I, I was impressed. Um, I know I know everybody didn't like him being thrown out of the game, and I mean again, I think that's a little bit a little bit of a cheap thing. But I I understand where the officials are coming from, and and uh, I think if you know, I, if I'm not mistaken, somebody showed a wide shot of where Vashon Joseph was actually at when that happened. He was like up top left by himself. Not even anywhere near anything that was going on. So yeah, I tried to I, find I it on the telecast and wasn't able to. I think it was a picture somebody had taken from the stands or something. Mm. Uh, so he was nowhere even near what was going on. So you know, I can't blame him for being uh, mad. That rule definitely has to be changed uh, somehow, some way. I don't know how you'll do it, but it, it should be easy to keep up with who has a team-wide personal foul and one who has a personal, personal foul. <laughs> well, I don't know. It, it, it is a, it is a curious thing. I mean, I, I understand why the officials have to do it because if that thing turns into a, if that thing turns into a brawl, mm-hmm. then, then you got problems. And the other thing is, is it does allow them to calm everything down. Yeah. Um, I wrote about this in the article a little bit, which is usually you see this where like CJ Henderson was getting into it with, uh, with, with the wide receiver from Tennessee a little bit. They called Henderson, and the wide receiver for offsetting personal foul penalties or not personal foul for unsportsmanlike conduct penalties. And all of a sudden everything calms down pretty quickly because you get the second one and you're gone. Um, so I think that's sort of the intent of the decision by the officials is, all right, let's calm everything down. It's, it's already getting chippy on the field. Um, you know, we can't call it individually and, and keep allowing it to be chippy. It might get really out of hand. So we're going to make this call. The problem is, is that you already had Joseph with one, with yeah. one penalty already. And so just by rule, um, you know, he, he's got to go. And I mean, I guess I sort of agree with you in terms of he wasn't really involved at the same time. He was very involved in the chippiness that was happening beforehand. The one thing I'd like to see is that I, I think if a coach comes onto the field and gets into an altercation with the sideline, it needs to be the coach who goes onto the field who actually gets blamed for it. Yeah. I mean, I know he's going to check on his player and I get that, but you can check on your player without barking at the other sideline and um, you know, him being out there that far is the only reason that any of that stuff got instigated. And so hopefully the SEC or the NCAA will look into that sort of thing because it really could have turned into something bad uh, depending upon, (laughs) depending upon the players and their ability to keep people back and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, obviously we don't want to see any of that stuff, but Hey, it, it, uh, like I said, it certainly woke up the crowd. Um, I I think it woke up the Gators a little bit and and it showed the second half. Well, probably a pretty obvious answer here, but by week, of course, Georgia, 
Missouri, South Carolina coming up, Idaho, FSU. Uh, you know, maybe not record wise, but uh, what do you want to see from this Gator team the second half of the season? Yeah, I mean, I'd like to see Franks continue to progress. I, I was really impressed with him going downfield against LSU. Um, and I think that continued a little bit against Vanderbilt. Um, I want to see them play a little bit better against zone coverages. They've they they've struggled a little bit, not not to move the ball, but again, if you make them go on a ten or twelve play drive, they make enough mistakes where they end up settling for field goals and things like that. Um, you know, either like you you gotta you gotta force them out of the zone and then get aggressive, or um, you're just going to have to dink and dunk your way all the way down the field, which is kind of what Vanderbilt told, asked him to do, and same thing with Mississippi State. Um, on defense, I'd like to see um, a little bit more pressure just from the front four. Yeah. I think they've had to bring guys in order to get pressure. Um, I think Polite and Zuniga are good enough to get pressure without necessarily having to bring the house. And I think at some point they're going to have to get pressure with the front four. Um, you know, my hope is, is that it'll be the SEC championship where we're saying <laughs> that they need to do that. But at some point they're going to need to bring, they're going to need to bring pressure with just their front four. I haven't been convinced that they're able to do that. In fact, against Vanderbilt, they really struggle with that. Now, mm-hmm. you know, Vanderbilt was being aggressive in their interpretation of holding rules, I would say. But I do think it was called both ways. I, I, I think that there were probably holding calls that could have gone on Florida that, that weren't called as well. I think the officials were just letting a lot of stuff go. But in that case, Polite and Zaniga have to have, you know, counters to the moves that they have they it was pretty consistent speed rushing i saw one or two spin moves um you know i I didn't see a broad array of pass rush moves and so that might be something we look for moving forward the third thing i'm really interested to see because mullen is has proven to be creative is we're getting to the point in the year where you can use freshmen and still redshirt them yeah and so I'm curious to see, you know, the Everybody's George Everybody's asking about Jacob Copeland. <laughs> well, that, that, that was the guy that I was thinking about. You got Copeland, but you don't necessarily want to burn his year. Yeah. Um, but if you've got a special play where you think he can contribute, or let's say you think he can be a dynamic player in kick returns, maybe you put him on kick returns against Georgia, and then you sit him out against Idaho or whatever. And that way he, that way he gets the four games, um, you know, and you get that, dynamic playmaking in, at, at the kick return spot, which isn't something that we've seen thus far. I mean, the, the kick returns have been relatively pedestrian. Um, it's not as if you get a ton of chances to do that, but still um, they've been relatively yeah, pedestrian. And yeah, Tony hasn't impressed me at all back there. <laughs> well, I mean, that's not necessarily what he's been, what no. he's, what he, what his skill set is, right? His skill set is to, is to take a five yard pass and turn it into 20. It is not to juke six guys coming yeah. down full speed after him. <laughs> and, and, you know, that's just the reality. But, I mean, he hasn't been bad. It just hasn't been – it hasn't yeah. been dynamic. It's not Brandon James back there. And the question is, can you can you find a freshman to do that? Um, you know, same thing on the defensive side of the ball. Are there people like Malik Langham who maybe give you some, some, extra, some extra oomph up front you can bring in? Or, you know, Amari Bernie, who's played quite a bit, uh, but does he start stepping up in his role? Um, on the team. So that's sort of what I'd be looking for is, is more pass rush from the defense. And then, um, you know, what are the freshmen going to be doing? Yeah. Mine for me is this, uh, these running backs. Uh, I think we've seen a little more as the season goes along. You've seen uh, the, the option be installed, but you know, especially against Vanderbilt is uh, the use of their hands out of the, out of the backfield. They're catching the ball a lot more. You've seen some big plays coming out of that from, 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 especially from the Michael P Ryan uh, and the two swing passes that, 
you know, he took down to the goal line early and then right before halftime as well, busting the big play where Florida could attack on an extra three points before halftime. Uh, you know, and also just running the ball in general too. The last two games over 200 yards rushing. Uh, can they keep that going? I think when they're absolutely going to need it in these next three games uh, to, to to get on uh, get W's in the in those games, especially against Georgia. I think you're going to want to see um, that the running backs kind of take over that game and not ask Franks to do a whole lot. So uh, the the running game and, and the evolution of the of the running backs out of the backfield is something I want to see, and then also kind of penalties as well. Uh, these defensive backs. Uh, lately, you know, besides C.J. Henderson, uh, good for uh, a couple pass interference calls and maybe get some of that cleaned up and, um, you know, find that second cornerback that they can rely on from here on out from the rest of the season. We've seen some switching going on around there. Hopefully maybe find that one guy and and, and necessarily uh, not have to figure out along the way who that second guy should be. Yeah, it's interesting you say the running backs because that was one thing I guess I had, I had forgotten about. But now that I think about it, um, there were a lot of two back sets against Vanderbilt. Yeah, I did, yeah, there you go. I'm glad you said yeah, that. Yeah. They, they they very and that's a wrinkle that they haven't had much this year. They've done it a couple of times, but they, they did very, it before Davis got hurt, and then we had, it kind of got wiped out. Yeah, but it, it was even pretty uh, against Kentucky. It was almost non-existent. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was very much one back in a tight end uh, or one back in RJ Raymond back there. It was not. It was not the two backs. And in fact, I mean, you know, your back has to block. I mean, there were a couple of there were a couple of plays that they ran where P Ryan was the blocker and Scarlett was the running back. I mean, P Ryan did a really nice job of setting the edge when he was blocking. Um, you know, and you got to have the running backs who are willing to do that if if you're going to do if you're going to play the numbers advantage when you bring them back there. But that I think, in some capacity, freed them up to then speed, you know, to to bring the running back in motion out for those screen passes that went out into the flat. They got a lot of first downs that way, and certainly were able to move the chain. and And so I think it's a good it's a good point that the running backs. Um, uh, contribution to the passing game has been getting larger and larger and larger. In some part, I think because they've been going with more two back sets, or at least against Vanderbilt, they did. And so we'll see whether that that continues moving forward. I'd actually like to see him bring Tony back there and put him in that sort of yeah. running back spot, yeah. and then and then speed him out. Because um, one of the problems is when you throw out to him on the wide receiver screen, he's almost immediately getting hit by a corner, or at least he's yeah. got to juke the corner immediately. Some of those plays with the running backs that we saw against Vanderbilt, the running backs got the ball and had three or four yards to sort of get their bearings and 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 beat the tackler. And I think if you give Tony three or four yards where he can see the guy coming at him, he's going to be able to get, get out of his grasp and maybe turn that into a big play. Yeah. Kind of, uh, if I'm going to maybe going back too far here, but kind of like a, like they used to do that with Chris Rainey a little bit in, in that style of play. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's really kind of the, he's kind of the same type of player, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Doesn't have that kind of top end speed. Right. Um, but right. has the, yeah. has the ability to put his foot in the ground and change direction much, much faster than most of the defenders do. I mean, his, I would say his top end speed is not world class, mm. but he gets to top speed faster than just about anybody I think I've ever seen, <laughs> and, and that makes a huge difference turning a five yard run into a fifteen yard run or a or a six yard pass into a twenty yard pass. It doesn't necessarily convert into a touchdown. That was one of the things I thought was interesting. The last two times I guess that they've run that reverse where he's gotten free, um, you know, by the time he gets thirty yards downfield, he's gotten caught. Yeah. So you know, he's he's maybe not, once they cross. Maybe once they cross the fifty, or you know, get into close to the red zone, maybe 
you know, we see some more plays from Tony there as to where those 30 yard runs are touchdowns. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, again, I, I think it's a question of, um, you know, the wide receivers are blocking really well on those plays, but certainly, yeah. um, you know, because you're running a reverse guys have more time to take an angle and maybe that's why they're catching him. Um, Hey, I'm not going to complain for a 35 nah. yard for a 35 <laughs> yard plan reverse. I mean, God, we hadn't seen a reverse in three years, man. So uh, <laughs> certainly hadn't seen a properly executed trick play in a couple of years. So, uh, you know, but th- those would be the kinds of things I'd be looking for out of the running backs. And, and it's a great point that Mullen did that with Rainey um, and Rainey had sort of that, the get to top speed quickly, make those sort of shifty moves and, and get and put the defender on his heels. And Tony has that same skill. All right, Will, you mentioned uh, later on this week for uh, readandreaction.com, you were doing a, a little season in review. Absolutely. So looking at the first seven games, looking at where Florida stands in the SEC, I know there's been a lot of consternation about Florida being ranked behind LSU and behind Georgia, um, you know, and sort of taking a look at that in terms of how the teams have performed, uh, both against this, you know, sort of um, based on their schedules thus far, but then also just based on their score differentials and how they've played offensively, how the quarterbacks have played, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Will, you ready to uh, break down those Georgia Bulldogs next Monday? Oh man, I'm looking forward to it. Um, I have a little bit of time to do it, so I'm I'm uh, I'm traveling this week for work, so I'll be sitting in a hotel room. So okay. it, it it'll give me some time to uh, to to do it. And you know, I, I got to ask the fans because you know, obviously, people have been uh, have been crediting me with jinxing the <laughs> jinxing the opposition when Florida's played big games. I'm traveling to Vegas. Oh, so I have the opportunity to put money down. Oh, so, so the question is, who do they want me to put money down on? Do, do they want me to? Do, do they want me to jinx Florida, or, or do I need to jinx Georgia? Uh, so no, nah, I'm 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 looking forward to going out and and touring the the sports book and uh, and uh, you know I'll let everybody know how I'm betting. There we go. There we go. Uh, I'm ready for this one, Will. But uh, as you said, we have a bye week, so we can we can rest a little bit. Yeah, that's not true. Something weird will happen this weekend. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I hope it's good weird, not bad weird, because yeah. uh, pretty much ever since you invited me onto this podcast, it's always been bad weird when it's, when it's come to Florida. It's never so, a dull moment. <laughs> so hopefully everybody stays off the radar and, and is and is uh, preparing for Georgia and something weird comes out of Georgia or something, some rumor yeah. about, about how Fields is going to get, you know, <laughs> how, the, how the team wants Fields to play or something like that. But, uh, you know, I... I there's nothing better. Both teams have bye weeks coming in. There's no excuses. Um, it's going to be 50 50 from the fans. Yeah. What's that? Could, and it could break into uh, it could be top 10 matchup if, if the polls fall the right way. Oh, man. Well, and irrespective of that, I think it does come down to, you know, Florida wins the game. Obviously, I think they jump up. Yep. I would think they'd end up like fourth. And they're going to end up in front of LSU, I would think, at that point. Really uh, I would think. But, you know, that, yeah. that, that Kentucky loss at home. Yeah. Is is why people are sitting there going, are they really for real? Because nobody really knows whether Kentucky is for real. And you know, again, I guess there are different levels of for real, right? So yeah. <laughs> if you had told us before the season started, Florida was going to be six and one at this point, I think we would have all taken it. Yep. Um, and you know, if you told me at the end of the year that they were going to end up ten and two, I would have taken it. In yep. fact, if you told me nine and three, I would have taken it. So you know, they are raising the level of expectation as they continue to play well. And, you know, if they beat Georgia and they're seven and one, obviously all of our expectations go way, way up from that point. Um, 
but you know the team's still inconsistent we can still see that um the question is can they can they overcome those inconsistencies to win the games like they have thus far and hey all the credit in the world to them for winning those games um you know despite sort of the shortcomings and the warts that you see yep it has been fun it has been fun all right that's will miles you can find him at readreaction.com and on twitter at will miles scc i'm the host of gators breakdown david waters and you can find me on twitter at Gator Dave underscore S-E-C. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown. <laughs> <laughs>